Hey, welcome to Prove It. That's right. This is our new series. Well, this is the second week of that series anyway, going through the Gospel of John, just highlighting some incredible stories in the Gospel of John. My name is Darren, by the way. Good to see you. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. Uh, hopefully you responded back to the screen so I can hear you. I like that works. Okay. So anyway, uh, we're going to be looking in John chapter 4 today. So if you have a Bible or something, that would be fantastic. Or we'll have the scripture on the screen in just a little bit. But I want to tell you first about this a devotional we have out there. We've actually put on the website a devotional that you can download. It's just a devotion for once a week for these eight weeks as we're going through the Gospel of John. And it also has a reading plan so that you could actually finish reading the whole Gospel of John uh, by the end of the eight weeks. So we really encourage you to download that, take a look at that, and, and talk about it with other people. And uh, hopefully, if, if it's, it's kind of a neat thing for us to be united on and be kind of all talking about the Gospel of John right now. And we're ex- I'm excited about this series more than you know, uh, because I love the Gospel of John, for one. And for, I mean, come on, I mean, the Apostle John uh, his brother James, they were called the Sons of Thunder. I mean, come on, just the nickname itself is worth, is worth getting into this book. But anyway, we're going to be looking at John 4, like I said, starting with verse 46. And this is a story about Jesus healing an official son. So we're going to talk about that. So let's go ahead and read it together, and then we'll dive in. John 4, 46. So we came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe And the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked in the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So Tyler had a chance to talk a couple weeks ago about the miracle at Cana and the turning of water into wine, symbolizing that Jesus has now come and the kingdom has begun, the celebration of the kingdom, uh, the, the wedding has begun because the groom is, is now here kind of thing. And, and there's just all sorts of fantastic things. We, we talked through that uh, as we talked through that passage. Uh, this passage uh, then is another sign, if you will, that Jesus gave while he was in Cana area, Cana and Galilee area. And so now let's think about this for a second, if you would. I know we're not all experts on geography, <laughs> uh, but if you think of, uh, you hear the terms like Judea, and Samaria, and Galilee, and you heard them really, if you read these, uh, these chapters right here, the first uh, couple, uh, first chapter 2, uh, chapter 3, chapter 4, you hear about all these places in Jesus' ministry already, just starting to begin his ministry. 
Nazareth, where he was from, was in Galilee. That's where Cana was, uh, where they had the wedding. And then another region just south of Galilee was Samaria. And then south of Samaria was the region of Judea. Now, Judea and Galilee uh, were, were Jewish people. Uh, Samaria were people who the people in Judea and, and Galilee would kind of fight against. Uh, they were people who were kind of uh, half Jewish and also had married into a lot of pagan families. And there was just a lot of really inter- interesting uh, kind of a, almost like a, a, a racial thing going on there, a lot of hatred between the groups and things like that. And so the reason I bring that up is because you find Jesus coming out of Samaria at the end of this pa- uh, the passage right before this one and back up into Galilee as he's traveling from Judea north through Samaria into Galilee. And he uh, meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And at the end of that passage, it says this in verse 43 of chapter 4, uh, that after two days, he departed for Galilee. He spent a lot of time with the Samaritans. They were listening to him. The lady was excited about meeting him. Uh, and he, she brought in all her friends and family, and they all came from everywhere. Uh, but two day, after two days, he departed for Galilee after being with the Samaritans. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown or homeland. Probably more specific uh, as far as the word is concerned. So when he came to Galilee... The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So kind of setting up this, uh, this story, if you will, when Jesus heals this official son, is he is leaving Samaria just after just being, getting done with talking and, uh, in a prophetic way to this woman, and then Samaritans coming out of nowhere just to listen to him. In fact, they were so excited, they said, at the, uh, at the end of that passage to the woman, they said, thank you for letting us know about him. You know, but we believe because now we have seen and we've heard with our own ears his teachings. Surely this man is the Savior of the world. And so Jesus has this incredible welcome by the Samaritans. And not only that, but incredible belief by the Samaritans. In just a very short time, he was with them for a few days. But now he comes back home into his home region his homeland in Galilee. And it says, it's interesting, because it says the Galileans welcomed him. Now, put that into contrast with uh, what it says there about how he said there is no honor uh, for a prophet in his, in his homeland. Now, what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about homeland? I think he's referring to the places where the Jews were. In Judea, he faced opposition. In Galilee, he faced some opposition uh, but 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 yet when he comes back to Galilee, as if they're not like they did not embrace him like the Samaritans did, but it says they did welcome him. But look at the reason of why they probably welcomed Jesus. They welcomed Jesus back home because of the works or the signs and the things that he had done while he was down in Judea. You see, a lot of the Galileans were in Jerusalem in that area uh, for the Passover, and so when. When they had seen at the feast, so when they had seen Jesus do these kind of miracles at the feast uh, down in Judea, and then he comes back up into Galilee, they were wide, you know, arms open wide. Uh, and but the reason was was not the same reason as the Samaritans. The Samaritans said, he, "You are the Savior of the world, you are the Messiah." But the Galileans are welcoming. But the reason that they're welcoming is they wanted to see signs and wonders. They were kind of 
excited about this magician that was coming to town. They didn't necessarily have the same idea (laughs) that the Samaritans did about who Jesus was and honestly refused to probably believe it. And the reason we know that is because Jesus' rebuke when this man comes to him. He's in Cana. This man comes, an official son. Uh, The word there means royal uh, official. So kind of like a royal ugly dude. The only reason I bring that up is because I promised myself that I would quote Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure at some point in time in one of my sermons. So there you go. So here's this royal ugly dude <laughs> who, had, who had basically what, it, what he is, is he's a guy who was probably Jewish, uh, but he worked under Herod, uh, who was kind of a regent of that, of that area. That, they, they called him kind of tongue-in-cheek king because <laughs> he, he thought he was, even though he really wasn't uh, in charge entirely because the Romans were over him. Uh, but... He probably worked in his household, and so you see him. He, he, he had heard of Jesus like everybody else, of some of the signs and wonders that were done, some of the healings that have been, you know, things that have been taking place. And so he comes to Jesus from Capernaum to Galilee to Cana, about 25 miles or so, walks there because his son is ill. And he says, will you please heal my son? It says he's at the point of death. So we know this is a serious thing. And so he just like, I don't know what else to do. And I, I heard this guy is doing some incredible uh, feats, incredible things. So let me go ask him. And so he finds him. And what he gets is rebuke. Now, this is interesting because when Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe, it's a rebuke. And this rebuke is interesting because the rebuke is in the plural. You will not believe. You all will not believe. He wasn't talking to just this man. He was talking to all the Galileans that were standing there. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. See, that, that's what you came out to see. You came out to see this magician. You don't know who I am. You don't believe in who I am. But yet this man's a little bit different because he doesn't necessarily even entertain that rebuke at all. Instead, he just says, but please, will you just come down to Capernaum, 25 miles, walk back with me. And because I've seen you touch somebody and heal them, will you just t- touch my son and heal him? And Jesus says, just go. Your son's going to live. And the man leaves. So the man wasn't really looking for a show. He was there really out of desperation. And Jesus knew that. And his son lived. Now, we're going to look at some other nuances of this passage. But I want to make a few points of what, what really I feel like uh, God was kind of leading me into when I, when I started going through this passage, some of the things I'm kind of pulling out. First of all, I want you to understand this. Acknowledging Jesus is not enough. That's what I get out of this. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, the Galileans were welcoming, uh, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Jesus still said that a prophet has no honor in his homeland. Uh, these people just don't really know who he is. They were acknowledging him, but it's not enough. They were looking for signs and wonders, but it's not enough. Jesus rebukes them for that. You would think, you know, why would he rebuke somebody for being welcoming? Because he knew their motive, he knew their heart, and he knew what they really thought or believed. Now, here's the thing. We have, it's the same with us. We've got to come to Jesus on, on his terms. He's the son of God. He's not just a teacher, just a prophet. He's not just some good guy who taught a lot of neat things. 
to help change your life or to give you some pithy statements to kind of live your life by. No, he is, he is the Son of God. Like Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Simon, this is not, this is, these aren't your words. These, these words have been given to you by God himself. That's who he is. And he was challenging the people around them. Do you even know who I really am? You know, I think this is true. If you really are honest with yourself, I think you'll probably find this to be true in your life sometimes as well. You have to ask ourselves the question, much like the people who are standing around listening to this, do we love Jesus for who he is? Or do we love Jesus sometimes, maybe a lot of times, for what he can do for us? You know, I, I think a lot of people come to Jesus because they originally think of what he can do for them. You know, I've been praying for this, and, he, and, and I, I, that's the first time I've ever even really come to know Jesus. I, I heard he does miraculous things. I'm desperate. And you, and you find this man who was, who was desperate. But do, do, we, do we really know him for who he is? And we really have to question that because the motive is very important. Ought we going to receive a rebuke from Jesus or, or a praise? Like a rebuke with, like in this passage, or a praise like to, like to Peter when he said, you are the son of the living God. Or like the Samaritans that embraced him and said, you are the savior of the world. It's, it's so vitally important that we that understand that, that motive. Do we love God for what he can do for us? Maybe sometimes we're more in love with the idea of God. Sometimes we could be even more in love with the religious things of God. You know, I love worship. I love reading the Bible. I love even prayer. All the things that are of God are so vitally important. But the only reason they're important is because of who they're pointed towards. Should we be in love with worship or with Jesus? Should we be even in love with religious people? Even the people around us. Are we serving and loving them and worshiping them? Or is it Jesus? You know, our motives can be everything. We can be really good people who, who seem like we're Christians, but at the same time not really convinced, still be skeptical about Jesus being the true Messiah and loving him for who he really is. Acknowledgement of Jesus is not enough. The second thing I get out of this, uh, this text is this, is that belief is born in desperation. Belief is born in desperation. I mean, look at this guy. This guy comes because his son is at the point of death. He's not really interested in the show. He really is interested that maybe this guy can heal him. He doesn't know Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, he doesn't even have that much faith. If you think about it, he's pretty skeptical still. Because he asked him if you would come to Capernaum and lay your hands on him. He, he wasn't thinking that Jesus was God and he could just say the words and, this, and his boy would be okay. But when he leaves there, it says that he leaves believing that what he said is, is true. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means. If he really believes that he's the Messiah or I think that when he walks away from there, he's just hopeful, you know. That there's something inside of him that tells him that maybe this man is, is telling the truth. And, and what else would it, does he have when, his, when he's desperate, when his son is at the point of death? 
unlike a lot of other people who are just standing there and listening and looking for some sort of sign. You see, I love what I love about Jesus is this, is that when you read the Gospel of John, when you read the other Gospels and you see Jesus and you get to know Jesus more and more, you, you find out that he deals with us really, you know, right where we're at. He knows what's going on in our hearts, in our minds. And he doesn't make excuses for us. He doesn't, he doesn't try to just wave a magic wand and just fix everything. That's not why he came. Instead, he came to suffer so that we don't have to. I mean, think about this. Now, he, he acknowledges the fact that there is suffering in the world. And he doesn't let us out of all our suffering. And then the reason I, I really believe this is, be, is so that we might learn to be desperate. You know, I love what, uh, I believe it's the man that was dressed in black in The Prince's Bride said to Princess Buttercup, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. I love that line. Because it's so true in some ways. In other words, acknowledge what's really going on in life. <coughs> Excuse me. We all have dark times that we go through. We all have suffering that we go through. And Jesus acknowledges it, sees it, goes through it with us. And this, this man, because of the suffering of his son being at the only point of death is what turned him to be desperate enough to go find that kind of help. Even, even if he didn't believe. Even if he was wrestling with his skepticism. Dark times come. And in those dark times, the times that we suffer, I understand why we can be skeptical too. You know, The Bible doesn't say that, well, people who don't know Jesus are going to have dark times and people who know Jesus, once you come to know Jesus, you'll never have another dark time. It's not true. There are a lot of times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, when you felt like God just abandoned you. Like he's just not listening. Like Jesus just isn't, isn't there. <laughs> you know, John said in John chapter 1 that Jesus came as a light unto the world. Into such a dark world. And, and you see right here, this, this man, without even realizing who he's asking, Ask the light of the world to shine darkness into his suffering. But it took his suffering to come, to, for, to come ask. Therefore, desperation, when we face desperation and suffering, it is really the mercy of God. God speaking in a way to us to say, do you really love me? I mean, I mean think of Job for a second. You go back to the Old Testament and you look at Job. This is a guy that just went through everything. And the Satan even said to God at the very beginning of Job, he says something along the lines of, you know, Job doesn't really love you like you think he does. And the reason you think he's so righteous and he loves you so much is because you're doing everything for him. He's rich, he's got a great family, he's got everything going for him. He doesn't really love you, he's just using you. Wow, what a charge, huh? What an, what an accusation. And so God turns that around and he, he, he lets things happen to Job. He steps back. He, he watches Job become desperate. He watches Job, he listens to Job's prayers, but, but backs away. And in the end, Job is lifted up because he never left God. He was mad, he was upset, even borderline blasphemous in his prayers. But he never left him. In all his desperation, he never left him because he loved God. 
It wasn't just about the things that God can do for him. You know, I, I love what uh, C.S. Lewis wrote in The Problem of Pain. We can ignore every pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It is the mercy of God. Sometimes when you're going through some of the hardest suffering, and I know that's hard to hear. It's hard to believe. But some of us need something to break through our skepticism. You know, it's funny how skeptical we can be about who Jesus really is, about how he should impact our lives. You know, it's funny, as a skeptic myself with some things, it's funny how we can be skeptical just about about everything except our own skepticism, which I find ironic. (laughs) At some point, we need to question whether or not we really think we really are living life right, whether or not we really understand or know things. And when life is going good, we just don't necessarily think we even need anything. But I'm telling you that it's in the dark times when belief is born. It's in desperation when belief is born, when, when you actually turn to Jesus and acknowledge who he really is. So this man walks away believing. The third point I want to bring is this. What I see out of this text is that, that life is found in surrender. Life is found in surrender. Right, read the rest of this. What happens? The man uh, goes back home, right? He goes back home, and he meets the, his servants coming out to meet him, and they say, hey, your son's getting better. He was healed, just like Jesus said. He was at the point of death, but now he's alive. He said, what, what time was that? It finds, it finds out it's the same time when Jesus said those words. And it says him and his whole house were, household become believers. Now, I would like to think that what John is leading up to as he's progressing through the story is showing us that the word belief here means something a little bit even different. It has a little bit of a different connotation. That the man believed when he left, when he heard the words of Jesus, kind of hoping that it's true, that this magic man would, would heal him. And then when he comes back and sees it, that he did, him and his whole household come to belief in the fact that Jesus was truly the Messiah. I like to believe, I think as John is trying to build up for this man and his household, that they became followers of Jesus Christ that day. They became followers of Jesus Christ that day. Life is found in surrender. When you read through the book of John, you're going to find this theme of life. John's all about life and how we can only find it in Jesus, the true Messiah. And he, and he, he tries to tell us that we will never, ever really truly be abandoned by God. Even though we feel like we go through dark times and hard times, even though we, we come to him in desperation. You know, you see, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was the one, he's the only one in the history of the world that was ever truly abandoned by God. As he was on that cross, as he died for your sins and my sins, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was abandoned so you and I don't have to be. You know, but life is in surrender. Because when you come face to face with acknowledging who Jesus is, understand something. It, it's not easy. The call in the Gospels is difficult because Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me. Follow me. That means give up good things. 
I mean, there, are, there are all sorts of passages to the gospel when, he, when somebody says, well, can't I go bury my father first and take care of his business and make sure that's all taken care of before I come follow you? He said, no. You can't do that. Someone else, can, can, I, can I work in the field and get that field work done first before? No. Come follow me. There was even a man who was healed and was kicked out of the church. And he said, follow me. I, I, I guess... I guess what I'm trying to say is when you read passages like what Jesus said about how in this world, if, if you're really going to follow me, they're going to hate you because they've hated me. When you read passages like you've got to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, I just think of this man who, who, who experienced such an incredible uh, healing with his son, but yet he comes to belief in exactly who Jesus is and follows him. It's not easy surrendering. But life is found in surrender because we can't come to Jesus on our terms. We have to come to him on his. On his terms. And what are his terms? You've got to know who I am. You've got to believe in who I am. I'm asking some of you who are watching right now. Maybe you've been in the faith for a long time. Or maybe you're brand new and you're still skeptical about a lot of things. Take some time to be skeptical about your own skepticism for a second. Maybe lay aside all the things you've been investing in in your life just for a second. Maybe some of you even have a false God, which is an idea of Jesus that he's just this good guy who gives you good lessons and helps you out every once in a while when you pray. Do you love him for who he really is? For what he can do for you? Are you ready to really truly surrender to him? Come to him on, on his terms. Some of you listening to my voice right now need to do that. I, I wish you would get a hold of us if that's the case. Let us pray with you. Some of you need to come to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe for the first real time. Maybe you need maybe for the first time. You're seeing him for who he really is, the son of God, the creator of the universe, the one who has called you, the one who made you, the one who formed you, and the one who wants to bring you to life. You are at the point of death. But yet he says with just his voice, go, your son shall live to that man. In the same way with you and I, just with the, with the whisper of his voice, he can bring life to you and me. But what's he looking for? For us to surrender. Let me pray for you today. Father God, I just pray that you might somehow, some way, you know, just really deep down within our very heart, help us to be convinced of who Jesus really is. That he wasn't pulling any punches when, 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 he, when he came to this earth and, and brought these, these signs and wonders, not, for the, not, just, not for the sake of, of magic, for the sake of our entertainment, he didn't come just to, to answer our prayers of things that we want and, and need. But he came to change our very lives. Came to shake up the world. Came to save, to be savior of the world like the Samaritan said. So Father God, I pray somehow, some way that you might share that within us. Help us to be convinced strongly in our heart of hearts, in our spirit of spirits, that we're not only serving Jesus 
because of something he does for us, but we serve, we serve and follow him because of who he is. Oh, Father, help us to love you more than even, the th- even your things here on this earth. Help us to love you. Help us to follow you. Help us to keep you Lord. And Father God, I pray for someone who needs to, who's hearing my voice right now, who desperately needs to, I pray that they might pray for Jesus right now in desperation, in desperation for belief. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.